0: Matthew 23, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts and uh, help us understand your word. We know that this is where Jesus gets rejected in this chapter, and then, uh, of course, he rejects them, and what what a horrible moment for both, as it is only his heart for all those to be saved, for all those that are lost to come to know him, and yet they reject him. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to have the same heart he does, that even though they've rejected him and hated him, and they're going to spit on him and crucify him in the next few days, that he still loves them with an everlasting love. In Jesus' name, amen. You can tell we got new concrete out there. Don't walk on it. (laughs) Sam, just looking at you. Hopefully we'll be able to drop people off a little bit easier, build a vestibule on there for double doors and so on. So anyway, moving forward with some things. Having a baptism on the 27th of this month, we'll meet out at Mazingo at 2 p.m. after second service and Mazingo Beach, and then we'll do baptisms out there. So if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've never been baptized, we'd love to give you that opportunity that day. This is a tough chapter. Um, Several woes to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what I like about this chapter is the the difference. You can tell the difference and see the difference between how Jesus treats the religious rulers that should know better versus the absolute broken sinner. And the difference, the love and the heart that he has and the compassion he has for the sinner versus the, the scribes and the Pharisees who just were, well, as he's going to say several times, hypocrites. And um, that's important because sometimes we can fall into that category of Pharisee and Sadducees, and we we don't mean to, and we end up looking like them or smelling like them. And and um, this is a good lesson for all of us. In verse one of chapter twenty-three, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. He's switching gears. He had been answering all the questions, fielding all the questions from the religious rulers. Remember, at this time, it's the Passover. And while Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, is entering in one gate, all the sheep are coming in the other gate for the Passover, and they're all being inspected. All those little lambs and sheep, they're going to be sacrificed. They're all being inspected by the high priests and all the other priests to see if there's any faults or problems with them, because they had to be perfect um, without blemish. And of course, Jesus is being inspected as well at the same time, before he goes to the slaughter, before he goes to the cross, to see if there's any fault and see if there's any problems with him. And so they've given him all these questions, and he's answered them all and left them all speechless as usual because they didn't think he could answer the questions, and he does perfectly. Um, So now he turns from these people, the Pharisees and the scribes and all the lawyers that have been inspecting him, and he begins to speak to the disciples. Into the multitude. So that whole group is there and always is there. So every time he's speaking to the Pharisees, there's always, you know, three or 4,000 people listening to him answer their questions and watching all these Pharisees get smoked, you know, uh, as Jesus answers these questions. And so he turns to the disciples and he begins to speak to them, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees are sitting right there while he's talking to them. Um, And like I said, Jesus is using his outside voice at this point. Before he was subtle and moving through the the towns and throughout the regions, it wasn't time for him to go to the cross yet. But now is the time for him to go to the cross. And so he's not going to pull any punches. He's not going to skirt any of the issues. Uh, He's going right at him, full, well, head on. And so he begins to speak to the disciples and the multitudes. And he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. They're hypocrites. Um, They found it real easy to tell everybody what to do, and they found that their position, and that's in their mind what made them holy. That's what made them acceptable to God was, I'm telling everybody what to do, therefore I have done it. And That's not the case. Telling somebody what's sin and what's not sin, what's acceptable to God, what isn't acceptable to God, does not qualify you. It condemns you. It actually is convicting. It should be anyway for those who have a heart for God. But it wasn't to them. They thought because they had the position that that was their holiness. That was their ability to come close to God. So Jesus calls them out on it. Now, everybody in that crowd always looked up to the Pharisees and all these guys because they were the religious rulers. It was their way or the highway. Uh, um, They were the ones that had kind of the authority to tell you whether you were going to be able to go to synagogue or into the temple that day. Um, And what had happened earlier when Jesus came in on the donkey, remember the, the famous scene, everybody's laying palm branches and coats, and he's coming in on the scene, Hosanna, save now. Well, he doesn't go to Rome. Remember, he doesn't go to the palace to overthrow the Roman government that's oppressing the Jewish people. He goes to the temple and begins to flip tables again, throwing, overthrowing all these tables where all of these guys, these Pharisees and scribes were ripping off the people. They were in this court of the Gentiles out there, and we know the story where they would buy and sell things and get all oh, your lambs. No good. You got to buy one of my pre-certified lambs. If you want to get into heaven, you know, kind of thing. And that, and they would sell these things to these people. And so he calls them on it. He says, you guys are a bunch of you're scam artists is what you are. Um, and so this is unheard of all the people. They've got to have their jaws on the floor, you know, watching him call out these guys for who they are. Nobody ever does that. He says, these guys sit in the right seat. they are, in that position of a teacher or a pastor or a shepherd and listen to what they say because what they're saying is right. Just don't do what they're doing because what they're doing is wrong. They were big on saying and not big on doing. And if we read anything in the New Testament, that's what we see the most. Uh, The New Testament just drives it home. You've got to be a doer of the word, not a hearer. Hearing it, reading it, collecting Bible studies is not the same as doing what God's called us to do. And so he calls them on that several times. They they just don't do it. Here's what he describes in the next verse. For they bind heavy burdens, these Pharisees and these scribes, they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works that they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places to at, at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They just love that when people say, oh, great and awesome teacher, you know, kind of thing. I had a couple of pictures I wanted to put up. Are you able to get those for me or no? Yeah, put up the heavy burden one, if you will. <laughs> These guys just got out of a marriage council conference. It looks like, and uh, <laughs> someone needs to punch that guy. Um, but that's the heavy burdens he's talking about. See, they would see that, they would know that. So when he describes heavy burdens, he would, they would. This is what it looks like. They would get these bundles of sticks and they would carry these things. You could see a donkey over, you know, with all this wood and all these things that they're carrying, and you could barely see the legs of these things sticking out from underneath. Um, and so he says, these guys do that to you. As far as religion goes, they would place such heavy uh, burdens and responsibilities. You can't come to God if you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you can't do this, that, the other thing. you don't have the right sacrifices, not, you need two turtle doves, it doesn't matter what, you know, all these things, these rules, and they couldn't get close to God, they became a, a burden or a barrier, and God saw that. He was very offended by that. There is the law that you have to keep, and they were supposed to do that job, but they made it even harder. Some people would bring these lambs that were very acceptable to God, but when they showed up in Jerusalem, which is quite a, a trip for them, to offer up this lamb, these guys would be the barrier, saying, I'm sorry, lamb's no good. You know, You're going to have to find a different lamb or buy a different lamb. And God is watching all of those things, and he saw these guys who were supposed to be helping the people, get close to God, actually being a barrier to the people and keeping them from God. And it was very offensive. And so Jesus calls him, he says, you guys lay heavy burdens on people, but you don't even bear those heavy burdens. You you pass off your crippled lambs as good lambs because you don't want to give the best lambs to God. You do all these things that these other people are required to do, or, or you don't do all these things that other people are required to do. And he calls them on that. He says one of the things they do is they broaden their uh, phylacteries. Here's a, another picture. When I was in Israel, um, this is what they do. The box on his head and the box on their hand and the leather strapping that they put on, he's going to the wall to pray. Um, and this is what they would do. A lot of the young guys would do this. And at, when I went to the, to the wall... Um, on, a, on a trip, you know, as, as uh, you'd see these guys standing at the booth, getting all ready to go to prayer, and they would do this. And so that's a flattery. That box on his head—it's got a, it's a single chamber, just an open box, and there's four scriptures inside of it. And then the idea is, I'm really going to focus on God while I'm praying—is the idea behind it. And then there's one in his hand it has got four chambers, which four separate uh, scriptures in each one of the chambers. And these are the flatteries. Well. They've been doing this a long time. That's pretty streamlined, pretty, you know, modern, cool, I guess, <laughs> you know. Um, these guys back then, they would make them really, really big, you know. These big fly, you know, look at me, you know. I've got the whole, you know, You know, watch me pray. Watch me, oh, Lord, you know, whatever. And they start bouncing their head off the wall and everything. And it was all for show. It's all for show. None, none of that helps you get close to God. None of, none of the things you are talking about helps them get closer to God. What it does is it lets people see what you're doing. It puts it out front for everybody to watch. And this can be convicting for us sometimes. Um, what God wants us to do is to worship Him in spirit and truth for sure, but it doesn't have to be broadcast how we're doing it or how often we're doing it or making sure everybody thinks we're more spiritual than we actually are. Just being who you are in Christ and keeping it between going to the closet to pray, you know, uh, nothing wrong with praying out loud, but these guys were known for this. And this is an embarrassing moment for them. This is a humbling moment for them. He's, he's taking these guys who find their place in the best seats and he's telling them to go down to the end of the table. And that's a, a story that a parable that he shared with them earlier. It's out of Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come to you saying, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This moment right here is, you're done examining me, Jesus says. Now I'm going to examine you. And it's time for you to move from your place of honor at the top of this table and to get down where it belongs, because there are so many other people who are more honorable than you, who are lower, who are more humble, who are more close, and they need to come up to the higher place. And so he's moving them down. It's a very humbling moment for these guys to sit here. And now you can see why they get so infuriated with him. Their pride's being hurt. This is what's going to cause them to figure out how do we get Judas? How much money do we have to pay him to turn in Christ? So we can find out where he is, get him on the cross, get him crucified, get him out of our hair, and we can go back to our boxes on our heads and our wide, big robes and take our seat back that he's just removed us from. They're losing all the people and all the respect right now. And they need to. They find the best places. They think this is where they belong. We can do that in our worship. When we find our worship uh, becoming more and more public in the sense that um, and the, the result is people see us and we gain respect from people by our worship, whether that's standing up when everybody's sitting down or there's a lot of ways we can do that. Or letting everybody know, boy, I've had lots of quiet times this week. Well, it's great. Keep them quiet. you know. Um, that's between you and the Lord kind of thing. Um, I didn't, <laughs> you know, uh, it's better to be just honest, but we like people to think that we're better than we are, or higher than we are. And We can do this in our service to God too. make sure everybody saw what we did and, and make sure everybody sees us doing the, the work. I mean, I did this whole thing out here by myself with a shovel and I don't ask, I'm kidding. I didn't do any of it. Actually, I asked David Spencer, I said, Hey, can we throw a sidewalk? Let's get a sidewalk up here. Can we just put a sidewalk? Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was excited. Just put a little sidewalk here. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I said, okay. Well, can, we, can we do a parking pad too? He goes, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Well, we found out the grade's wrong. So I get up here, you know, and after David was just supposed to show up with his crew of two or three guys from Iowa and just kind of lay the sidewalk out, and there are trucks and and bulldozers and s- semis with dump trailers. I'm like, what is going on? He goes, well, we're going to regrade the whole parking lot, scrape off all of the uh, stuff we put down, regrade it all, and then put it all back so that when we're finally done, it's all going to drain the right way. And I'm like, oh... I got a wedding this week. I won't be here for any of it. None of it. So, I'm watching these guys all work and sweat, and I'm like, uh, I'm at Mazingo Beach entertaining some guests right now. You know, uh, suffering in the water kind of thing. Um, So many guys worked on that out there, and you probably don't know who they are, who did what. They don't care. You know, it's a, it's a blessing. It's when you make an announcement about it. It's when you're standing up in front of everybody saying, did you see? Did you see what I did? You know, um, it gets in the way when you get the glory as opposed to God, when you get the attention. We have to be careful of that. Watch out for that. Verse 8, but you, you multitudes, you disciples, do not be called rabbi like these guys are called rabbi. They love those titles. For one is your teacher, and that's Christ, and you are all brethren Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, and he who is in heaven. uh, That's who your father is. Your your spiritual father is him. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, you read that, and you're like, wait a minute, am I not supposed to call my dad dad? No, that's not what he's talking about, obviously. I mean, what are the commandments? Is honor your father and mother. Well... He shouldn't say Father then? No, it's not what he's saying. These guys would take the title. Jesus is trying to remove those titles from them. They love the title, you know, uh, You know, most holy reverend. You could call me most holy reverend if you wanted to. And it, no, no, it's JD, you know, um, that's it. Um, these guys would love Rabbi, Rabbi, because everybody loved to be called, you know, if you're a teacher, you were above. And every one of these titles puts that person above, the others, he says, no. Jesus says, "You're all brethren. You're all equal. You have different roles, rules, responsibility, things you need to do for God. You you may be standing up here. I may be standing up here teaching the Bible, but that doesn't mean I don't do other things. You know, and that's that's my job. That's what I do. That's what God's called me to do. But others are called to the children's ministry. Other call other called to watch the children's ministry, oversee the children's ministry. Um, others are called to clean. Other others are called to lay concrete, and we're all called to do different things. We're all equal, though." Absolutely equal, no different. And so don't worry about that, uh, the title, rabbi, or, uh, you know, father. It's a very dangerous thing to be called that, a spiritual father, or to be called a father um, in the worst sense. And, you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but you can be part of a, a denomination where you're required to call the man father. Um and he doesn't mean older man in the Lord when you call him father. They mean I represent, am, and equal to, and can get absolution through me, the father. And you can't do that. That's so wrong. But that's that's up to them to hear this and to receive it or not to receive it. But I won't do that. And, and he says, don't call him that anymore. Quit, quit giving him those titles that they desire. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. and You'll be exalted by him. It's a very simple thing. Christ came to to serve. He didn't come to be served. And if he, the creator of the universe, decided to serve us, certainly we have no place to expect to be served by other people but to serve others. Now he's going to switch gears. Now he's done talking to the people. He's going to move on to the Pharisees and the scribes who have never left the room. They're still sitting there with everybody, hearing all this, being offended. And so he's going to let them have it. And we don't see that very often. We always see Jesus, you know, he's just meek and mild Jesus and very sweet and very kind of, it's kind of like white flowy hair kind of thing. And we don't see him flipping tables. You don't see him doing this to the scribes and the Pharisees, but there's a time for this. And, I noticed that if he's gentle, most of the time, if he's kind, most of the time, if he lets kids sit on his lap and he says, you guys got to be like one of these little kids. If you want to get into heaven, you got to be humble. You got to be meek. He's and, and, and he washes disciples feet. When he gets angry, that makes you notice, you know, some people are angry all the time. And when they're calm, that surprises you, you know, and like, Oh, wow. You're calm today. You're, You're on your meds again or something. I don't know. You're you're relaxed. Um, And then for those that are relaxed most of the time and they're even and they're cool, but when you see them go up a level, you pay attention to that stuff. That's important. And he does. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. So he's shouting at them. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. I've been watching you. You don't even come in. You don't draw close to me. I know your hearts. I know your minds. I know you don't draw close to me. But the worst thing is, that's fine. That's between you and God. But you don't let other people draw close to me. You get in the way. If I can't see Christ, you can't see Christ is the idea. If, you can't, if I can't come to God, you can't come. I'm watching you do this. Woe to you. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. I've been watching you. I watch you go into widows' houses and say, sorry, this is what the Lord requires. And you are taking stuff from widows. What kind of people are you? And then you make these long, pretentious prayers. That's all it is. It's a pretense. There's no value in it. There's no real heart. You don't care how big your phylactery is. It just stick on your head or on your hand. You're not really seeking the Lord. And he calls them on that. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win pro, to win one proselyte, and that's someone you bring into the Lord, someone who's not Jewish, uh, an Ethiopian, an Egyptian, or someone who's drawn to God, and you go out and get them and you bring them into the faith. Well, your faith, not the true faith. And he says this, you bring in one, and when he's one to you or your side, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, whatever game you've got going, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. He just called these guys sons of hell. And, And the ones you bring in are twice as bad as you. Because those guys are even more zealous. If I'm not Jewish, and the faith is of the Jewish people, but you want to be of that faith as an Ethiopian or as an Egyptian, you're going to kind of go overboard to compensate for the fact that you're not Hebrew, you know? And that's what he's talking about. These guys are they're worse. Because you make them, you make them jealous. You make them desire to be in your position. And he calls them. I've been watching all this. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools, blind. You're not supposed to call people fools, but there he goes. You know? What's he saying? Well. They would do that. And I kind of think of it, have you ever been dared to do something? You know, I dare you, I dare you. And then someone says, I double dare you. What does that even mean? I, I, whoa, then I'm going to, and that's kind of what they would do. I swear by the temple, well, that doesn't mean anything. I swear by the gold of the temple. Oh man, the gold. That is serious. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? You're fools. You're blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's obligated to perform it. You're fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? And so now he cuts to the chase. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it there, settled it. Just because you swore by something you think you can't, it's like, it's like I crossed my fingers behind my back. Jesus said, nope, it all counts. And everything you haven't done that you said you didn't have to do because you didn't swear by that part of the temple, you're obligated to do every one of those things you got out of. He's calling them on it. You swore. doesn't matter by what you swore. And so I'm calling you out. Tough verse 23 woe to you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites for you pay tithe of mint anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice mercy faith the tithe that's 10% he's not saying they're not supposed to tithe they're not supposed to give 10% you know what he's saying is you got so excited about cumin they would grow this little herb cumin i mean cumin who uses cumin? You know, so you've got this cumin thing, and you're 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 weighing it out on the scales. There's 10 percent of cumin there. Oh, I mean, you're so holy, you won't even let cumin go. You know, unchecked. You're you're tithing off the cumin. What a great guy. But God says, I'm watching you, and you don't even care about justice, mercy, and faith, which is kind of what I'm all about. God says, I'm worried about and want justice, mercy, and faith, and you're worried about cumin. Now, I'm all for doing the cumin thing. That's fine, Jesus says. But I, I need you to be focused on the, the weightier matters, which tells me something about God. There's some things that are kind of really important and some things that are just sort of important. And when it comes to cumin, thyme, or anise and mint, those are kind of important, but not really. If you forgot, it's okay. But when it comes to justice, when it comes to mercy and faith, that's, that's what I want you guys to do. Be busy about that, but you're ignoring all that. These you thought uh, you ought to have done, the mint and the cumin, you should have done that, but don't leave the others undone. You're blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Both are unkosher, you know, straining out a gnat, you get a glass of wine or whatever and, and they see a gnat fall into it, well, they're going to pour it through a strainer to make sure they didn't eat that unkosher blood in the gnat, you know, it, so they strain that out so they can have pure wine. And he says, but in the whole time you're doing that, you're, you're figuratively swallowing a camel, you're so unkosher, it's, un, it's unbelievable how unkosher you are. And you think, oh, I think there's a gnat in here. And everybody sees, and that's all what this is about. Everybody watches you about the cumin and, and about the gnat, but you're forgetting the bigger things. Legalism does that every single time. Legalism in Christians does that. Every, I've never met a Christian that isn't doing just that, who's legalistic. They're all worried about what what version of the Bible are you reading? Is it the King James? If it's not the King James. And they're so mean and rude about it that they're willing to ruin someone's faith over whether it's King James or New King James or NIV or whatever version it is that they're reading. And they ruin the faith of somebody forgetting, oh, I I started with an NIV Bible. That was, was so great to read something I could understand. King James, are you kidding me? You know? thou and thee and thus and there and some of the words, you know, get a dictionary with you when you look it up. Now, I understand over time you kind of pick up and you learn those words and you can probably read it pretty fluently, but boy, when someone's just starting off, they need a translation they can read and understand. And I'm all for accuracy. Don't get me wrong. I don't think you just throw out, you know, anything, but This legalism, what what do people in Africa do that don't speak English? What do they read? you got to learn English to read King James English to go ahead and read the Swahili Bible? What, What is happening here? It doesn't even make sense. It's so strange. And that legalism does that. How much water did you use when you got baptized? I don't know. I just got baptized. Did you use a cup of water? Half a cup of water? Did you get immersed? Because only real baptism is Immersion. I'm scared of water. I can't hold my breath. I think I'm going to drown if I go under. You think, well, not my problem. Christ wants you, but you're not saved. They missed a point. And we can do that. We can get so caught up in the legalistic, tiny little gnats that we forget the more weightier matters. Justice, faith, you know. And so he calls them on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Nobody wants a dirty cup. My kids freak out when I there's a little bit of milk in the bottom and they want a glass of water, and I give them some water with that little bit of milk in there, and they're like, oh, dad, it's cloudy. Look, so you're shaking your head. Really? It's cloudy. Ew. All right, fine. Anyway, check it. These Pharisees, the inside of their cup, the inside of their heart is absolutely filthy. There's no repentance. There's no love for God. There's no compassion for people. There's there's nothing there. It's filthy. But the outside looks absolutely nice. You got good robes. You got good long beards. You got that phylactery on top of your head. That's a sharp look. You're looking like a real religious guy right there. But inside their heart, it hasn't changed. Man who cares what the outside looks like? If the inside, God always starts at the heart, always starts with that changed heart and works his way out from there. It begins to take things away from you and change your life from the inside out, but never from the outside. And so many people are trying to scrub their cups to try to get close to God, and you can't. That's not how it works. You don't scrub the outside. You don't try to make yourself look religious so that you can be religious. That's Not what God wants. He wants a relationship. I just want you to know who I am, that I love you, that your sins, the things you've done in rebellion against me have separated me from you. I can't talk to you. I can't have a relationship with you because you're off doing your own thing. You're doing your will, and I can't. You don't want my will in your life. And so we're distant. We're separated, and and the wages of that sin is death. You're in rebellion against me. But I've sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to take your place, the death that's waiting for you, I put upon him, and I need you to accept him as your Lord and Savior. I need you to accept that offer of forgiveness so that you can get right with me, so that we can start our walk with each other, so we can start getting things straightened out in your lives. See, these guys, these Pharisees and Sadducees and these scribes, that's what they were there to do. They were supposed to first realize how broken and dirty and How much they needed the very sacrifices they were helping other people with. I need to get my own lamb. I need to bring it to the altar. I need to pass my sins onto the lamb. I need to have that lamb killed so my sins could be. I know who I am. And now, because I've done that first, that was always first, now I can help you come to the altar. You see? And to never forget that part of it. They'd forgotten that. They didn't think they needed the lambs anymore. They've got the broad coats. They've got the phylacteries on their head. They look good. Everybody calls them rabbi. Clean as a whistle. And God says, no, I'm looking at your heart. Don't care about your clothes. And your heart needs to be changed. And so they couldn't help people. So that's why people were drawn to Jesus. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's a, you know He fishes with the guys. He's out there teaching on the side of a hill. He doesn't care about the robes. He's He's feeding them. He doesn't care that they didn't bring food. He makes sure they're taken care of. And they're drawn to that. They're drawn to go into the water and to be baptized and to become changed and come close to God because that's all they want to begin with. And Because they couldn't get into the temple. Why are they going out to Jesus in the middle of nowhere when they can go to the temple? Because they couldn't get in. They couldn't get close to God. And so they found a way that they could. Very dangerous place to be when you're in that position of authority or in that position of a teacher or a pastor or someone who's in leadership in any way, shape, or form, kids' ministry, whatever it may be, that you do not become a barrier to people getting to God. Nobody has to go through anybody to get to God. Nobody. They go directly to Him every time. And if there is somebody in between or in the way, God knows that and watches that and is not happy with that. Stay out of the way. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's not letting up on these guys. These guys have to sit here and listen to this, and they're just being brought down a peg every single time. Now, he's not doing it to be mean, For them to come to know him, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, they have to see who they are. That's for everybody on this earth. We all have to get to that place at one point in our lives, and most of you have, and realize that I'm in need of a Savior. And these guys don't know they need a Savior yet. And he is bringing them down to a place. like, look, I don't think you're looking in the mirror closely enough. Let me show it to you. Hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. You can't see that. And he brings them to a place so that he can bring them up, so he can raise them up. He's not being mean. It's the most loving thing he can do for these guys is to knock them off their horse. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, so they go, here's the the thing. Remember what he's told them. Uh, Which one of your prophets didn't your dads kill? Every prophet that came from God would give his message, the people get upset, and they kill the guy because they hated the message. Shut up, and they put him in the ground. These guys, realizing later on that the prophets were right and their ancestors were wrong, will go to these tombs of the martyred, you know. Prophets and decorate them and celebrate. You know, this is this is Daniel Day or this is you know Zechariah Day or this is whatever day. And they or ah, oh, and this is what they would say when they'd show up on those days. If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. We'd have believed them, and and so many. So many of these guys are, are of that mindset, and yet the Son of God is standing in front of them, Jesus Christ. Because he's told them story after story about how he sends a prophet, he sends a prophet, he sends a prophet, and finally he sends his son, and they kill his son too. Okay, The Son of God is standing right in front of them, and they say those things, and they are going to shed the blood of the Son of God. They're going to do it. Oh, I would have never done that. Yeah, you're gonna. Verse 31, therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, you serpents, brood of vipers. I mean, he's letting them have it. I don't mean to smile, but for the rest of the crowd that's watching this, who's been kept from God, who's been humble, who's been quiet, who's been meek, who's always looked down when they've walked past the Pharisees, always felt that shame and guilt coming from these religious rulers, knowing that they can't darken the door of the temple, knowing all this to see their Messiah stand up for them and to bring these guys low. It's been a long time in coming. Okay. So I'm smiling because this needs to happen and it's a good thing. And these guys need to hear it. How are you going to escape the damnation of hell? He says, these guys aren't saved. They're the most religious people on the earth and they're not going to heaven because their heart isn't changed. Never look at the outward of someone. It's always the inward. It's always the heart. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood Of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of um, Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And 40 years later, that's exactly what happens. Antiochus Epiphanes comes through and wipes out, kills a million, and destroys the temple. I want you to circle something. I don't know if you write in your Bibles or not, but if you have your own Bible, you should circle this. And it's in verse 34. Who sent the prophets? I sent the prophets. See, so many people say in the Bible, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God. He always is a, a great prophet or one of many prophets or one. Mm-mm. Right there, I sent the prophets. Jesus is God come in the flesh. And that's why he's speaking with such authority. That's why he can say, Woe to you, you hypocrites. I sent you prophets and you didn't hear any of my messengers. That's all the way through the Old Testament, before he was even born. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is God come in the flesh, and he claims it here. I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. He says, and you're going to kill them all, and you're going to crucify me too next. And he knows this. And even though they hear this, they still don't receive it. And so he turns here in verse 37 to the city he's standing in. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's in Revelation. This is the first coming of the Christ. The first coming, he had to sacrifice. He had to die on the cross. He's coming a second time in Revelation chapter 19. And that's what they'll say. And he's saying, I've left your house desolate. You've rejected the Messiah. And so I've rejected you. And then he goes to the church. He goes to the Gentiles. Now, he will come back to the nation of Israel in the book of Revelation chapter 6 through 19. That's the great tribulation. That's where Israel gets their last seven years their opportunity to receive their Messiah and they'll get that chance again. We'll be long gone by then, but until that happens, that's where they stand and that's where we stand. That's the blessing that we have as the church is because they've rejected him and he sees that I've wanted to look at his heart for them. Just sharing that there, you know, they're mean to him. They hate him. They're going to kill him. He knows that they've rejected him. They're planning against him. And yet he is weeping over them, wanting to gather them together, wanting them to come to know him desiring no man to suffer. In 2 Peter 3, verses 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So many mock, make fun of, ridicule Jesus or anybody that follows him. And he hears all that and he knows all that. And yet his heart is still for them. He still wants to know them. He wants them to know him. He's been trying to introduce. When I was 19 and I got saved, I got born again. It took God 19 years to get into my heart. It took a long time for him to finally. But after I got saved, after I was born again, and I realized he's my savior and I was just broken, you know. I could look back at my life and see all the times that he tried to step into my life, all the times he saved me from things that should have killed me or stepped in in areas where I had to be in prison. You know, he's done so many things for me and stepped in. I look back at that. I'm like, look how many times he longed for me and wanted me to know him. And I rejected him there, 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 there. I mean, I can count him. I can see him until finally I accepted him. Anyway, if you're not a believer tonight, Just know that. I don't know if you want to be a believer tonight or not. If you want to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, that's that's between you and Him. I'll give you a chance if you want to. You can pray. But if you don't, you decide to maybe make the decision later on, please know this. This is His heart for you. He loves you. He wants you to know Him. He's trying to make Himself known to you. He'll be with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's going to constantly be knocking on your door saying, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Now, as someone who's been in that position, and he's knocked, and I've ignored him, and I've ignored him a lot, I'd encourage you to not wait too long. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when our last day is going to be. I mean, when I was 19, I was invincible. Never going to die. Not going to happen. I can beat anybody up. I can do anything I want to do, and nobody's going to hurt me. And car wrecks, big deal. I'll walk away from them, all those things. There's a lot of people that don't walk away from those things. And I'm not trying to, you know, scare you into it. I definitely, it's got to be something that you, God's done in your heart. The Holy Spirit has to um, begin to stir your heart. And you'll know that. You'll feel that in your heart. You'll feel that stirring. You'll feel that tug. Like, I think tonight's tonight. I'm supposed to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I'm not going to do it now. No way. Not in front of these people. No way. You know, and i I've been there. I know. But when you're alone and you're lying in your bed and you're quiet and everybody's gone and no one's paying attention and you still feel that tug, just pray. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I need you in my heart. I have tried to fill my life with all those things that could be anything. All the things of this world and none of them are satisfying me and I still want more and nothing fixes it. Nothing cures it. I'm going from thing to thing to thing, whatever that is. Just cry out to him and ask him to be Lord and Savior. Say, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I want to know if all this is real. I want to see it. He is faithful and he'll do it. He'll step in and start talking to you and show you things. There'll be some coincidences in your life that you're like, that is no coincidence. That's just weird. How did they know that I was thinking that? And they came up and talked to me and I've never met that person before. He'll start doing stuff. And be encouraged by that because that's him showing up in your life saying, yep, I'm real. And I want you. And I want you to be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Your word is alive. It's powerful and it's stirring hearts in us. And some of us need you to be our Savior, and some of us have been saved a long time and need to be brought down a peg or two tonight. Some of us need to keep our service and our worship private. Some of us need to stop be looking for the acknowledgement and the pat on the back. Um, Others of us need to just be encouraged that what we're doing is right. We thank you for meeting all of us here tonight in every situation, every place that we are in our own life. And you meet us right where we are. And we thank you for that. For those that want to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, pray with me. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want to be born again. I'm tired of running. I know you're trying to get a hold of me. And I need it. I need someone else to help me. I need fixing. I know that my sins have separated me from you. I know that my life is not pleasing to you. And that we are not in a good place. But I want to be there. So would you forgive me for my sins? I'm sorry. I want to leave them in the past and I want to walk with you. I want you to come into my heart. I want to be born again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to understand your Bible. Help me to understand what you are saying to me. I want you to come into the end part of my life. I want you to give me a new heart and see things clearly, a new mind. And I want you to take my life. You gave your life for me. I want to give my life for you right now. It's yours. I want to walk with you the rest of my life. And I never want to look back. And I thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you that after that prayer, after this time with you, Lord, that I am saved, that I am going to heaven, that I have a place with you. And that when I die, my eternity is secure because I trust you and I believe you and I know you love me. I love you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, stay off the concrete again.